Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to this special edition of World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Gideon Rachman in Hong Kong. Behind me you can hear one of the many street demonstrations that have taken place in this city over the last two months. The Hong Kong protest movement began at the beginning of June as a protest against a proposed law allowing extradition of criminal suspects to mainland China. But the demonstrations now embrace a whole range of other issues, including demands for inquiry into police violence and for fully democratic elections for the Legislative Council and the Chief Executive. The protests here also have increasingly been accompanied by violent clashes between the police and demonstrators. With no sign of the demonstrations dying down, there's now open discussion in the mainland Chinese media of the threat that China may actually choose to deploy troops, the People's Liberation Army, on the streets of Hong Kong. Over the past few days, I've been talking to both protesters and pro-government legislators and also to independent analysts. And here are parts of two of the interviews I've conducted. The first interview is with Regina Ip, a pro-Beijing legislator who some see as a potential future chief executive of Hong Kong. And also later, we'll be hearing from Joshua Wong, a prominent pro-democracy activist. But first, Regina Ip. I started by asking her if the situation in Hong Kong is now out of control. Well, I think a lot of people worry, but on the other hand, there are people who say that life is still normal from Monday to Friday, business as usual. And the government is trying its best to calm people down. And I think it should take firm action to get any violent protests under control. There's now open talk about possibly deploying Chinese troops, deploying the PLA. Do you think that's likely and do you think it's necessary? In accordance with Article 14 of the Basic Law, the chief executive could seek help from the central government for military assistance to deal with public order or natural disaster. But the initiative has to come from the chief executive, from Hong Kong. And I think any person serving as chief executive would be most reluctant to do that because of the negative implications for the future of one country, two systems. And the risks are too high. If any soldier or if any Hong Kong citizen got shot, the military, they are not trained to deal with internal security situations like the police who can use force in a graduated sort of way. So I think it's really inappropriate to deploy the military. And I'm sure the chief executive would be most reluctant to do that. So what's the alternative? How should they deal with it? I think the government has been acting with tremendous restraint, really hoping that public opinion will turn against rioters, not peaceful demonstrators. Peaceful demonstrations is a part of our political tradition. We have no problem with that. But we have a problem if there are violent confrontations and if there are sustained damage to tourism, restaurant, retail. You know, So I think the government approach going forward would be to try and calm down the public as much as possible 
and to take firm action against those who deliberately broke the law and turned protest violent. But arguably there's been, I don't know whether you call it violence on the protester side, but there was the storming of Lechko. Human beings weren't hurt, but the building was gravely damaged. And then on the other side, there were these people who appear to have been triads physically attacking some of the protesters. So there is, there has been considerable disorder. Is it within bounds that are still manageable? Well, if you check the numbers, actually, after the Yunlong incident, the government, the police have arrested far more people, yeah. more than a dozen by now, than those suspected to be involved in the sack of Lechko. So I think the police are doing the best. But of course, they are on a learning curve because we have not had this sort of prolonged protest. This sort of prolonged protest is quite unique. Looking slightly further back, how do you explain all this unrest? What's the reason? In my opinion, the root of the anger is our deteriorating housing conditions, the widening wealth gap, and the narrowing prospects for young people because of the rise of the Chinese economy and our inability to produce land to meet our housing needs. I think the government needs to implement more radical social and economic reforms to achieve more even distribution of wealth and to create more opportunities for the young people and, of course, to solve the housing problem. But the demands put forward seem to be largely political in nature, and particularly the demand for universal suffrage, direct elections to a chief executive position. Is that something that Hong Kong or Beijing should think about? Um, the demand for greater democratization has emerged in the past two decades after our reunification. You know, Before 1997, there was little talk. We were a business city. And uh, after the 2014 constitutional reform package was rejected, in the past two or three years, successive polls show housing to be the topmost concern. Housing, medical care, retirement, protection, these have been shown to be our most pressing concerns. And so do you link what's happening in Hong Kong to broader social movements elsewhere? I mean, you mentioned the Gilets Jaunes earlier, the, the riots in France and so on, or the lessons from there. I think um, the sort of polarization in our society is not unique. I do think it's part of a global phenomenon because of the wealth gap, the rise of the technology, you know, the capital, the importance of capital in creating wealth, you know. Hong Kong has one of the highest Gini coefficients among developed economies, you know. So we have the same problem as those in France or in Britain between the remainers and leavers. And finally, I mean, there's been, obviously a lot of foreigners are watching the situation, it's partly why I'm here in Hong Kong, and in the debate in America, there's moves in Congress to look at Hong Kong's special economic privileges and maybe to remove them if there's a sense that Hong Kong is no longer autonomous or there's been excessive violence by the police or whatever. What would you say to those American congressmen who are considering that decision? I think it would not be in the interest of the U.S. to remove our special trading status. Actually, we earned it by being a founding member of the WTO. If they remove the MFN treatment, it would not hurt us very much because we have very few domestic exports left these days. And we are the economy with the highest bilateral trade surplus 
with the U.S. They cannot accuse us for unfair trade on any account. You know. On the other hand, other than in trade and economic matters, we have very good long-standing law enforcement cooperation with the U.S. In the past 22 years, under our rendition agreement, we handed over 68 fugitives to the U.S. drug traffickers, terrorists. They handed back 18 to us. So it's not in the U.S. interest to impose sanctions on us. After all, the rendition bill is that, as declared by our chief executive, and our police is very restrained in the use of force. That was Regina Ip. Earlier, I spoke to Joshua Wong, who rose to prominence as a teenager when he led Hong Kong's pro-democracy Occupy protests in 2014. He's since served time in prison for public order offences, and he was actually in prison, about to be released, when the first demonstrations broke out in June. I was jailed since mid of May. I can't expect it. Two million people will talk to the street when I was still in the cell. It's really impressive and far from my expectation. Yeah, and you said that in a way uh, it was a kind of miracle because after the Occupy movement, a lot of people said, well, that was it. It had uh, disappeared, the protests in Hong Kong. Why do you think it reappeared? People might feel downhearted or depressed after the end of Umbrella Movement, especially with the hardline policy of President Xi, no matter activists being jailed or democratically elected lawmakers were all unseated. It's the hard time for us, but with the extradition bill being introduced by Hong Kong government, no matter elderly, the generation of baby boomers, or millennials that we assume just interested in Instagram or Snapchat, they also join a strike, results in two millions people join the rally. In fact, two million people protests happen in other countries. But Hong Kong is the city with only 7.5 million people, which means 25% of population join the single protest. It's really impressive and the legacy of Hong Kong and the legacy under the hardline rule of Beijing. And how has the protest movement, do you think, changed from the Occupy movement that you essentially led or was one of the main leaders of five years ago. How does that compare with what's happening now? Business communities and moderate social leaders might have certain hesitation on umbrella movement that asks for free election. But under sharp power of Beijing expanding in the recent year and how the extradition bill might not only damaging political but also eroding economic freedom, it's just trigger business communities stand on the side of activists that and seldom happened in the past. At the same time, leaderless and faceless movement results in political prosecution become hard to implement. After the end of umbrella movement, political leaders, including me, were all imprisoned. Yeah. And they can't target any leader because the movement is without a leader. How does the movement work without a leader? With online forum discussion, instant messaging app to have opinion poll, and how Hong Kong people have the solidarity, learn a lesson on the umbrella movement. It's just results in solidarity instead of fragmentation. And uh, you said now that the, the label you're calling this is the summer of discontent. How long do you think it's going to go on for that? Movement might continue, 
In the short run, we ask government not only suspend, but it's a must to terminate the bill that still exists in the legislative program and set up investigation commission. In the long run, we ask for free election, but it's not related to the extradition bill only, because even Carol Lam or President Xi accept all of our demands. On October, will the national anthem law being introduced again in the legislature? Will Hong Kong government disqualify my candidacy and other youngster candidacy to run for district council election? If government accept people request tomorrow, but still disqualified candidacy, it will just trigger more people, half million, one million people join the rally again. Now, the most recent development was this use of violence by the triads. We think in one of the demonstrations. How dangerous a development do you think that is? Chinese liaison office official visited new territories one week before that critical incident happened. When representative from Chinese liaison office visited Yunnan and said that any protester come to Yunnan resident must kick them out. One week later, pro-Beijing gangster and mosque physically beaten protester and even ordinary citizen, including elderly, pregnant women and children that have not joined the protest. It proved that how pro-Beijing force is behind those gangsters and how government or the pro-Beijing camp just controlled those gangsters and hope to silence the voice of protests. And last question, but do you worry that that is a sign that Beijing is losing patience and they will ultimately resolve this by violence. Since Xi Jinping be the leader of China, Beijing loses patience to Hong Kong. PLA might be sent or not, that's the critical issue. And it might be the factor that everyone needs to keep their eyes on. However, if they send PLA to Hong Kong to clear the protest, it's not only damaging the daily life of Hong Kong citizens, but also damaging Hong Kong stock market and economic environment. In fact, YJK Ma will still choose to list Alibaba at Hong Kong stock market instead of Shanghai, because even businessmen with capital still need Hong Kong business market with stability and prosperity. Once Sano PLA, everything might end. And very last thing. Just in the big picture, a lot of people say, "Look, in the end, China is the largest authoritarian state in the world. It's 1.4 billion people. There's Hong Kong as seven million people. That if they want to control Hong Kong, they will, and that the Hong Kong people are not going to get their way against the Chinese Communist Party." What do you say to that? President Xi assumes Beijing is easy to control Hong Kong with the military force, excessive force. And brutality of police, and it could keep everything under control of President Xi. But what Hong Kong people did in the past few weeks proved that Beijing are wrong at all. What I mean is, when 25% of population took to the street, even Hong Kong police used rubber bullets and tear gas. It shows it's not only related to the bill anymore. It's about the summer of discontent, our discontent to Beijing, when Hong Kong people all stand on the side of democracy. Beijing just lose the heart 
of Hong Kongers. That was Joshua Wong ending this special edition of World Weekly from Hong Kong. And that's it for this week. In fact, we're going to be taking a longish pause over the next month. I'll be back in the autumn hosting a new show, especially for FT subscribers. It's a new format and a new focus, but the same host. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.